Welcome to Between Data and Risk podcast. Today we'll talk about cybersecurity and cyber resilience with our guest, Amit Basu, Vice President, Chief Information Officer and Chief Information Security Officer for International Seaways Incorporated. Stay tuned. If you're a business owner or senior manager, you probably had more than enough about all the wonderful opportunities awaiting you in the era of digitalization. Whether it is big data, cloud, data science, or whatever buzzword is currently trendy. If you would like to hear someone dissecting these claims and showing you what it actually takes to improve business processes, you're in the right place. This is Between Data and Risk, where we discuss real life examples of what works and what doesn't in the world of business operations. Hello. I'm your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Sipiak, and with me is my co-host, Artur Guja, Cognition Shared Solution Chief Risk and Strategy Officer. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Between Data and Risk. Today, we'll take a look at cybersecurity. We have with us Amit Basso, Maritime IT and Cybersecurity Leader, who agreed to share some of his experiences with us. Hello, Amit. Hello there. We are really excited about this episode. I think it's the first one which will be focused on cyber security per se. We, in our work and, and uh, in our also podcast, we a bit avoided this topic because we consider it really uh, difficult. It's a, it's a niche topic. It's, it's <laughs> separate from, from information security, really, to for, for a lot of, of, of aspects. And it's, it's different from risk management in a lot of aspects. So it is, it is kind of... It's different from care. data, the data, data, data science and data management or governance. Well, it's part of data governance, but it's uh, it sits in its own niche. So, uh, could you start with maybe explaining how cybersecurity should be understood? Because speaking with a lot of different people, I've seen that many people have different definitions, even of cybersecurity. From your experience, what cybersecurity is and what is it not, if you, if you don't mind sharing with us. Okay. Thank you, Marian. First of all, uh, thank you for talking with me this morning. And uh, cybersecurity, especially today, is an integral part of risk management of every business because I think over time it has been now very clearly evident that the risks that cyber criminals pose to every organization, it's no longer just an IT risk. It's truly a business risks because it poses operational risks, it poses reputational risks, it poses obviously governance risks, but on top of it, it poses very serious financial risks to the organizations across the world. So same, exactly the same way any other enterprise risk is managed in a corporation, Cyber risk should be managed the same way from the very top of the organization that decides the organization's goals and the priorities and the governance structure. Mm -hmm. So that should be the nomenclature of good corporate governance in today's world. Uh, so most of our audience is senior managers and, and like what elements of data governance or what should they expect from cybersecurity team to, to, to deliver to aspects they should focus on. Uh, so I will 
keep it short and it's really a very big subject but to for our discussion today to keep it simple mm -hmm. there is a nomenclature that is used called the objective of cia which mm -hmm. uh, sounds very similar to something very common in united states but in cybersecurity world the word cia means ensuring confidentiality integrity and availability so every organization senior management goal should be making the information assets that organization poses mm -hmm. they should ensure confidentiality of that asset as required for the business mm -hmm. that ensure integrity of those assets so that the all the compliance and the governance requirements can be met mm -hmm. and more importantly for the operation purpose the availability of that assets people whoever needs that assets at the right moment that should be available to them and that exactly opposite to that are the goals of the cyber criminals <laughs> they try to breach into the confidential assets of organization they try to mess with the integrity of that assets and they try to make the make them not available to the people so the actual business gets hampered and they in turn can make some ransom revenues of that uh, from from my experience when it comes to availability i will focus on 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 this one integrity as well but probably a bit different uh, differently defined uh, there is a big battle always between data scientists and cybersecurity teams. Uh, they, data scientists want to have everything uh, all at once, and cybersecurity uh, tries to um, limit the access to absolutely necessary minimum. Uh, we consider minimum uh, everything to be a minimum, but. How, how, in your experience, how is this balance achieved between people who want access to everything and uh, ensuring that only the people who really need the data have access to it? I think it, the, what you said is a very truth of life, really. And uh, so today's world, I think the best approach is what is being floated now as the zero trust security. Mm -hmm. So earlier world it was always the was uh, trust and verify was the mechanism of previous world mm -hmm. where i verify somebody's authentication and then give him access to all the data that has but mm -hmm. today's world we are talking about zero trust security so that every step yes whoever needs whatever data i will give you that data but you every step of your access of the data you verify your credentials and your authority that who are you why you need that data and provide your appropriate authentication mechanisms so that essentially kind of draws a balance between the both it prevents the bad guys from coming because once they get in they cannot get the door wide open and go anywhere they want mm -hmm. but at the same time people who has the valid access they can access anything that they need to to do their business appropriately. Uh, so how, how, how is it implemented? Uh, if I am the data scientist, do I need to get a special permission and access to every data table that there is? Like I'm thinking from the um, uh, perspective of uh, usability 
of 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 data. So no. if I am I am a data scientist and I want access to some I don't know financial data, uh, how many people will be involved? How many? How or it should how, be uh, mm-hmm. everything should be involved right at the beginning. Then when you need the access, it should not be involved anything. So if your the organization you are with, if the organization you and the organization's appropriate authorization authorities agree that you got to have access to all this data. Right mm-hmm. at the beginning, the access is given, and nowadays, with the help of various biometric and other access, access methods, it can mm-hmm. be fairly straightforward. Your computer has a camera. Your computer has most of the computer has a palm or a thumb reader. So, using mm-hmm. that, your authentication can be established. So, as you progress through the various data elements, the computer automatically identifies your identity, and it gives you access to that. I th- it should be seamless, really, but in the background, it is ensuring that you are validating appropriate people are only getting the access. Yeah, that's where the uh, what we call today the multi-factor authentication comes in. That you just mm-hmm. give your password in the beginning, that's not enough. At every level, it is doing kind of a either a second factor on your handheld device or on your camera or your thumb reader. It is doing another validation and it is giving you access. Yeah, so, but the, how is how is that balancing the the, the availability with the security? Because th- to to me that sounds like every time I want to access data, I have to uh, authenticate myself separately and ask separate permissions, and it it it's almost you know um, ad- very onerous if you want to get every bit of data, you have to fight for it, and uh, you know not, I know that the, the most the most secure data is one which is on a locked computer disconnected from the network preferably disconnected from power and locked in a safe somewhere and that is almost not quite but almost guaranteed not to be hacked into how how is how is that balancing so the balance has to be done you are you made a very good point again if it's an offline and locked inside a safe then i don't think it is serving any purpose other than it's getting obsolete sitting there. As a data scientist, you know better than me, data is a dynamic is a dynamic thing. And static data has no value really in today's world. Mm-hmm. Data is continuously changing, so I need to keep it enriched by the other data. So mm-hmm. keeping it locked in a safe will not serve anybody's purpose, that for sure. But to answer your question, the balance has to be really done at the business governance level. There is a balance between what is the need for security versus what is the need for innovation. See, innovation is cannot be stopped. Then the businesses will die in their own day, in their own way. So mm-hmm. to enable the innovation, appropriate people need to have access to the data to do the work, but they need to be, the identity of those persons need to be established. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be asked for permission every time, but say you have an, access to a data that is given to you, but that every time you access that data, there may be a biometric validation. Same way you enter your workplace, you swipe your card to enter. The door is not open to you. Every door you go, maybe certain areas, the data center you go, you set another set of doors, you open your data, door with with your card. So same way this can be implemented, which is not really onerous if it is properly integrated with biometric. You're sitting in your computer, there is a camera, it can see your eyes, and it authenticates you. 
if it is not you are not the right guy it will tell you don't have access no i, I think this is amit is very very, very right it's about implementation mm. if every time you would you, if you want to access a table you need to uh, give your password mm-hmm. then uh, use uh, authenticator app and mm-hmm. uh, type in the code from the text that you received it would be probably too much but if it's a quick uh, swipe on uh, of the finger uh, it's I, I think it can be done mm-hmm. and also it has to be balanced because some data may not require see you again i will not give you guys really on a lecture on data but Certain, we, we always classify the data between what is the public data, what is the data within my organization everybody can read, and then what data is only for a selected few. So mm-hmm. for each set of data, different kind of rule can be applied to. And again, data over life, the data changes is confidentiality also. The data which is confidential today, maybe tomorrow it can be in public data. So accordingly, the security aspects also need to change. Mm-hmm. I... Uh... But I, I wanted to ask more about the, the, this governance aspect because um, I used I used to be chief risk officer in a bank and uh, cybersecurity and information security as two separate um, components of risk management framework were part of my remit and uh, I always kind of was almost forced to treat cybersecurity separately. Because all other areas of risk, uh, the the risk management frameworks, the steps, the the thresholds, everything was well not public, but uh, it was available. It for for verification, it was seen. Whereas cybersecurity was always the area where, even as a CRO, I was not given access to all the de- implementation details because it was almost security by uh, obscurity you know all the all the schematics of the networks all the setups uh, routing everything was was deemed too secret to be made available even for verification because any any disclosure would immediately weaken it is it is it kind of true to say that uh, it's a losing war anyway because it's it's uh, the you know, the data if 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 the hacker is the, the determined one with enough resources they will get to the data anyway so it's just a matter of making it as hard as possible for to to get to discourage the ones that have limited patience resources or uh, motivation know, if, if you have motivation if you have a determined one they will get to anything anyway i Exactly, don't agree with you because I will disagree in two fronts. First part, I will tell you what he said that keeping it discreet and not even letting my chief risk officer know what I am doing that was or maybe even is a lot of organizations working that way, but that may be cause of this losing battle quite a bit. Reason being, over the years, our adversaries are getting way more sophisticated mm-hmm. they have a lot more arsenals they have a lot more money we are even nowadays listening about nation states backing some of those adversaries so i don't think it is possible for any organization in the world to fight those adversaries alone we need to build up an almost like an ecosystem of cyber 
security, cyber protection against those adversaries. If okay. I discover a vulnerability in my system, which either was breached or I expect it to be breached and I fix it. If I don't share with you that information in right time, then I'm making you vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So if you get vulnerable in that process, today's, I think today's corporate organizations are so interlinked with each other. Our supply chain is become so long. It's no longer, we don't talk about any more third party, fourth party. We are talking about nth party because every single piece of our business processes now we are looking for external providers to work with us. So in this long supply chain process, my business service providers or even my business partners, they need to be secure for my own security. Mm -hmm. so if I don't create a ecosystem of cyber protection around me, cyber intelligence mm -hmm. around me, I make myself more vulnerable. By keeping my mechanisms secret, nothing is secret today anymore really. Whatever I am doing, either somebody else is doing or my adversary is already knowing about it. Nowadays, I am not anymore those days of banks have gone where every piece of software banks were developing themselves. In a world of cyber protection, I'm relying on lots of tools and service providers to provide me that protection layers. Mm -hmm. And what the adversaries are doing, they're essentially finding loopholes in those providers' houses or in those tools itself. Mm -hmm. Okay, even today, everywhere we are reading about that move it that's going on for the last 20 days or so, and every day more and more organizations are coming out telling that they were breached. So keeping it secret is not definitely not the solution that I will absolutely proclaim. That's number one. Then you talked about, is it a losing battle? I am a cybersecurity crusader, I call myself. So if it's not a losing battle, I don't call it a losing battle, but in it's any- a constant battle. It's a constant battle, but in any battle or any endeavor of myself, I cannot win every day. If you are a runner, sometimes you fall. Mm -hmm. Most of the times you run well. Sometimes maybe the it's not your fault or maybe your fault you fell. Mm -hmm. So that brings us nicely as a segue to our topic we wanted to talk today. Cyber That's where the cyber resilience comes into play. So it is absolutely, you are right telling that it's no longer maybe a question of if, whether I will be hacked. No company, no organizations in the world are immune to every single cyber attack. It's not possible to prevent every single cyber attack. But my goal still should be to prevent as many as possible, to detect, if not, I one day, if I happen to get breached, mm -hmm. my objective should be how quickly can I detect that breach so that I can keep the damage to my organization at the minimum. And then how quickly I can recover from it and get the normal business going 
And that exactly what we call a cyber resiliency, like any other resilience in a regular world. How quickly when I'm running, if I fall down, how quickly can I get up and continue my run? Uh, our company motto is resilience of operations worth having, and we are really happy to, 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 to discuss the, the issues of resilience because, again, as I said, we try to stay from cybersecurity world a bit, a bit away. We are, uh, in all our arrogance, we are too humble to, to, to deal with it because we think it requires very specific knowledge. So if you don't mind, again, so we now know what is the cybersecurity, and the cyber resilience, how, how is it defined? It's not as popular in, I would say, um, popular space uh, as actually even, even the regular resilience isn't. But uh, specifically, cyber resilience is, is pretty rare, rare find. And I think it's important. So do you mind explaining to, to our audience like uh, how they should think about cyber resilience? Uh, why? We, we will discuss why it's uh, important, but let's start with mm-hmm. what is uh, cyber, what are the elements? We already know what is the, the purpose. The purpose yeah. is to get up, even if you fall on your, on your run, uh, is to get up as quickly as possible. Uh, but what, what elements compose the cyber, security, sure. the cyber resilience? Absolutely, Marianne. So I'll repeat again. So cyber resilience refers specifically to the ability of organizations to withstand and recover from cyber attacks or Mm -hmm. other cyber incidents. So it involves the ability to protect information assets like systems, networks, and data from cyber threats, as well as the ability to detect and respond to cyber incidents in a timely and effective manner so that the normal operations of an organization is minimally affected. So what it is then, what it is we are then talking about, that's a fairly kind of uh, definition of it maybe. But so it is a holistic approach that includes the people, the processes, and the technology, all the three pillars as we talk. So how, answering your question specifically, so how do we develop the cyber resilience in an organization? Mm -hmm. So it is really a multi-step preparatory process to get to the cyber resilience, like any other normal resilience itself. So I need to know what we call is our attack surfaces. Mm -hmm. Okay. So once I, to know my attack surface, that what are my information assets are, and what are their vulnerabilities time to time, again, it's a dynamic thing, it's not static. My information assets are continuously changing. Their vulnerabilities are continuously changing. So I need to then develop a good threat intelligence because, again, my threats are evolving on a every day basis, every maybe hour basis. So I need to develop a fairly intelligent threat intelligence so that I can know my risks because the way the cyber risks we define is, so I have my information assets. Those information assets, time to time, have certain vulnerabilities. Now, mm-hmm. a threat arises in the horizon, and I try to link how the, that threat impacts the vulnerabilities of my information assets. Mm-hmm. And if my information assets vulnerability is affected by that threat, then I have a cyber risk. 
so once I know my risks, I try to design multiple layers of protection against those risks. Mm -hmm. I'll come later, but that multiple layer part is very important. Defense in depth or layered defenses is important in cybersecurity protection so that if my one layer fails, there should be another layer under it that can try to hold. So multiple layers increases my cyber protection abilities. So this is the protection piece. Then I need to have prompt detection mechanisms in case mm -hmm. of any breach. Mm -hmm. And finally, last but not the least, I need to recovery. have a very well defined and time-tested response and recovery plan, which needs a good communication plan. It needs a good support network so that I can stop the bleeding as quickly as possible. And then the very last, a plan to recover so that the organization can resume its operation, the normal operation, as quickly as possible. So all these are the preparatory steps to achieve or to at least attempt a cyber resilient organization. So I have a question in terms of division of resources, because uh, obviously the, the approach to prevention is uh, completely different to the approach mm -hmm. to recovery. But, uh, you know, every dollar and man hour that you spend on preparing for recovery is a dollar and man hour that you don't spend on prevention. So you have to decide on a balance between them. Now, given that uh, cybersecurity is uh, as, as it's a journey, it's not a destination, as the old adage goes, mm -hmm. uh, it, you, you, you kind of, at least I, I always approach this, like there, there is assumption that a, an incident will happen. It's not a matter if, it's a matter of when and how big. Mm -hmm. So uh, how, do you, how, how do you decide where the balance lies between preparing for something that is frankly inevitable and spending the, 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 the resources on uh, recovery. So when it does happen, you, you, you can get up as quickly as possible and stop the bleeding. So this, that's a very interesting topic you bring it really. So the way we do it, that's where a need for a framework arrives. Like a lot of risk management framework in every aspect of risk, so the, in the United States, the NIST standards, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, mm -hmm. has a cybersecurity framework, which is uh, popularly known as NIST CSF, which has mm -hmm. kind of become the de facto standard globally for the organization's cybersecurity plan design or strategy design. It was originally started for United States government organizations, but over the last 10, 15 years, it has really established as a de facto standard as I'm talking. Mm -hmm. But before coming there, I want to tell also that uh, thing you said is one kind of a human tendency also there comes. I would say you'll find is in human nature that 
we try to prevent an unwanted incident more rather than trying to prepare for the worst. I think we it's know. a human tendency. What to do if bad things do happen, we don't try to think. We always try to think, how can I prevent the bad thing happen to me? Mm -hmm. Okay. And at best, we buy some insurance and remain complacent that I never have to use that insurance. And I think we are managing the cyber risk over the years in the same way. We more and more focusing on the protection more than the detection or the response recovery, recovery method. And that's where the problem comes when the if is not an if, but when situation comes. So the focus should be really on the all five. Again, the NIST CSF has five distinct functions it defines. And each of the functions, then it defines sub-functions under it. So every organization needs to, I will explain those functions a little bit. I was planning to do it a little later, but this mm -hmm. is, I think, perfect time to do it. So every organization, that is the very first step in their cybersecurity journey, as you nicely said the word, should be doing an independent assessment of their cybersecurity posture mm -hmm. against a standard framework. Again, I am a proponent of NIST CSF, but there are other frameworks there. They're not that different. They're all talks about the similar things using similar different nomenclatures or different terminologies. But mm -hmm. do an assessment to see where you are in that area and evaluate together with an external expert, your internal stakeholders and your decision makers that what is your company's risk appetite and how you determine whether you need to act there or not. But what are those functions you act? As I said, there are five functions. They are called mm -hmm. identify, protect, detect, response, and recover. So the identify measures enable an organization to focus and prioritize its cybersecurity efforts consistent with its risk management strategy and business need. Mm -hmm. We should not jump into protection without identifying our risks. See, there is no point investing in protection tools for the risks that are not critical or even applicable to my organization. As you said, my budget is limited, so I need to invest wisely. So that's where the identify measures comes handy. I mm -hmm. identify my risks first, that what are my risks. Then I move to protection where I aim to prevent cyber attacks from occurring and may include measures like common terms, firewalls, intrusion detection systems, antivirus software. Protection is maybe very important step, but as we are talking today, it's never foolproof. It is possible for a sophisticated attacker to bypass my protection mechanisms on a given day. And that's where the detection and the response steps comes in. So detection measures are designed to identify when an attack is occurring or has occurred quickly mm -hmm. so that the attack can be stopped before it causes very serious damage. This is where actually, I'm not going to any details, but this is where exact, actually today the artificial intelligence and machine learning are making big end roads. But mm -hmm. human eyes or 
mechanism takes a longer time to detect, a machine can detect a lot faster. Mm -hmm. Response is the next step, obviously. Once I detect a breach, I need to respond. So that involves to limit the damage to and prevent the further attacks. So this is where it's very important to have a defined incident response plan mm -hmm. that will outline in details how to respond different types of attacks. See again, I will not go details, but how I respond to a DDoS attack is different from how I respond to a ransomware attack. Mm -hmm. So having what we call run books for the particular type of attack is very important. And what happens if the attack was not predicted? It's like from the again from the practical perspective, because I I expect that some there are pretty well known types of like DDoS. Even I've heard about DDoS, and ransomware is uh, all over the news every now and then. Uh, but what if somebody comes up? Because as you said, it's a constant battle, and uh, there is a chance that someone will come up with a completely new type of attack. Or Absolutely, Marian, you are very right because again, we have seen, I will talk a little bit later maybe, but we have seen some very interesting type of attack over the last two, three years times. So at the end of the day, the basic steps, again, how I achieve that, the response may be different, but mm -hmm. the basic steps, I would say maybe three or four steps, they remain same for all types of attacks. First and foremost is isolating the affected system. Whatever mm -hmm. my information asset is breached, how mm -hmm. I isolate that. Okay. Then, secondly, detecting the nature of the damage and creating a clean system. Mm -hmm. I need to replace that affected system, either using the same setup if the damage is not serious or creating a completely new one if the damage is serious. So, do I have a good backup? Mm -hmm. Do I have... All those sort of technical things comes in. Mm -hmm. In between, there may be also a calm step may come in, what we call the forensics. Mm -hmm. Okay, there are forensic experts who goes into that breach system and try to find out how the breach happened. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. it may be good to know before I set up a new system so that my new system is also not affected the same way. You, you want to, how it happened. You want to lock your back door before... Exactly. I don't cannot keep my door and try to set up another the safe to... Yeah. Again. <laughs> okay. And then also involving the law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Because in every country today, government is playing a big role in the cyber protection, cyber recovery mechanisms. They would like to know, they would like to act. As you have seen in the recent past, in the last one year or so, there are a few ransomware attacks actually was thwarted by the law enforcement. They actually recovered the data, they caught the gangs even before they did major breaches. So involving the law enforcement. So some of these things remains constant, but mm -hmm. that's the reason those run books comes into play. But as you say, some cases, my run books may not be sufficient. So I may have to learn as we go, but mm -hmm. I will still follow some basic steps to get there. But the last steps, obviously we kind of already covered. The recovery is the last one where it comes. Mm -hmm. That how can I get back to my actual business? And to answer your question, Artur, so incorporating all these five elements into my cybersecurity strategy, only then I can protect my organization against cyber threats, respond quickly, 
and effectively in the event of an attack. I cannot really tell, okay, I do only protection, I don't do any offense. How much mm -hmm. I do what? It depends on my budget. Some cases in some verticals, it depends on the compliance requirements. Lot of more and more organizations today under coming under compliance. So maybe my compliance will dictate, I need to do certain protections before I can do even more detection. Otherwise they will not let me do business. So some of the decisions may be there. But one more aspect I think I will make before I forget that, I, I'm not telling, I mentioned about uh, the three pillars I talked about. I talked about the people, processes, mm -hmm. and the technology. We talked yes. about technology, which was the, all those, my protection and the detection mechanisms. We talked about processes, where is the, all those incident response plan and the recovery plans comes into play. Mm -hmm. But a very important, I would almost call the first line of defense are the people. So those are the users who are using my information assets. And if they can detect while using a system an attack, that may be the fastest way I can detect and breach. So mm -hmm. a good cybersecurity awareness program for the staff may be one of the very first step in any cybersecurity strategy. And again, keeping them aware of the changing threats, current threats to the organization, how they can detect something and how they should act. This has to be a continuous mandatory training for the staff so that they are aware of what to look for and whom to alert in case they see something not right. To, to, to be honest, I, I, I had some cybersecurity trainings in, in, in different companies, but this is something that I can't recall. There was some basics like no tailgating and stuff like that. And not, don't, don't, don't leave your passport, password on your monitor. Mm -hmm. um, but but uh, a proper recognition that something deep in the system behaves differently, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting one. And I'm, I'm really happy that you mentioned the people because I was aiming to ask you, uh, we work with business processes. Uh, in your experience, how important it is and how do the business managers react uh, when you tell them that if you have your recovery plan or, or response plan, it will influence their business operations? So their business uh, operations should also have processes which are aligned with cyber resilience processes. We, we found that it's sometimes a problematic part that, okay, cyber guys, they need to do their stuff. We do our business, we do our stuff, but we don't want to waste time on preparing special processes for, for it's, they, they need to take care of uh, cybersecurity and we don't want to, to, to waste time to plan processes that would be this, let's say, crisis time. Uh, as you said, people love to think everything will be all right. We love pink glasses and fluffy you know, stuff around. Uh, in your experience, how, how do you convince business people that they should invest their time to be prepared for when the things go wrong? Because we established and they think we are in agreement. It's not if, it's when. So they need to also find time and, and budget to prepare themselves for this when situation. How do you approach it? How do you approach mm, so business? It's a very, I will call it a loaded question. So, <laughs> it <okay>. is. <laughs> okay, so 
<laughs> but uh, that's where I think the term cyber culture comes in really. Mm-hmm. And I think at the very beginning, I said that it has now been established without a doubt that cyber risk is not an IT risk. Cyber risk is a business risk. Mm-hmm. And like any other enterprise risks, cyber risk should be managed from the very top of the organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is the role of the senior management really to kind of populate the cyber culture in the organization by practicing it from the very top. Mm-hmm. And then business leaders has to be educated that in case of a cyber attack, it's the business units that are being impacted. It's their operations which is being impacted. Is their profitability that is being impacted? Is their reputation that is being impacted? So to manage those risks, which is their business unit risks, mm-hmm. they need to act at the beginning, not at the end. Cyber protection or cyber security cannot be an afterthought in any business project today. There's a term being coined, shift left security. Means shift the security to the extreme left of a project. As as any business project is being, even kind of concept is being designed, it is on the drawing board still. Bring in, like you do a risk management in any project, risk management is an integral part of the project management right from the inception. And in that point onwards, consider cyber risks. What are the cyber risks of your project? And educate your staff at every step. Try to bring in, in the design itself, some protection. And then at the implementation onwards, think about detection, response, and recovery. And I would repeat again, a good cyber culture in the organization will kind of percolate it all through the organization that the business leader will start seeing the value. The business leader and the cybersecurity leaders need to sit really in the same table with the other C-suite officers so that they are talking the same terms. They cannot do it separately. It has to be done together. And I, I, th- I think I, I, I totally agree, but the, still the, the, the truth remains is that the user is usually the weakest link. It's, it's, yeah, and they need to be constantly educated. There's one other aspect that I, I wanted to touch on, and that is of proportionality, because obviously uh, with limited resources and, and also, uh, you know, once you identify the, the, the risks, you have to grade them. It's, there, there's no point uh, applying the same security to the cafeteria menu as to the financials of the of the company. So, uh, I, in 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 my experience, I notice that people tend to uh, err on the side of caution a lot, as in you know anything that has anything to do with business is usually graded as the highest priority, highest criticality. Uh, just because it may be at some point, uh, you know, deemed deemed critical, which which puts a lot of stress on the resources, and uh, usually once once you kind of take a step back and think about it, 
there there is a whole spectrum of of uh, criticality uh, gradings rather than just you know public information and uh, what's usually deemed crown jewels right mm-hmm. how do do you, do you do you favor the, the the kind of the extreme approach of either it's public or it's crown jewels or is there is there a wider spectrum to be to be treated which obviously and i i need to point point this out the more grades you have the probably the more your resources are divided right so there's there's another kind of uh, side to this coin how do you how do you approach this what's your favorite uh, so this one this one i cannot agree with you more actually okay that more granular i can get i can get a better protection but this is also where i will agree with Marianne. this may be the most difficult one in dealing with the business leaders every business leader feels their data is the most important data in the organization (laughs) or even worse they don't even have time to classify the data so all data is important as you said all business data is critical everything need to be protected and that's an already losing situation it's impossible to protect entire my all data everything together so it's a really a big challenge but we got to do it there is no really alternative to it to do what we call a data classification work with the business as closely as possible to classify the data between as you said my public data my within organization data my confidential data my m a related data so or my any other organization it can be my ip related data and then devise the different security for different things different access requirements for the different data different backup mechanisms for different data but the difficulty of that is i think i mentioned before and marian also touched that this classification is extremely dynamic it does not remain the same i do a classification today within a month maybe my that classification may change at places or new high critical data highly critical data may appear or some data which was highly critical may have now moved to the lesser critical category so keeping track of that i consider is even more difficult with a great difficulty i did a data classification project but the time i finished the project it's already it's started getting obsolete. So how do I keep mm-hmm. it alive? I think that's an every CISO's challenge. And it, that's not an easy answer. I don't have an answer to that, how to achieve that. That is where it's, there are newer tools are coming though. That's why again, machine learning, artificial intelligence are being used from the previous uh, kind of uh, patterns. Machines are telling, okay, this is critical. And this is not so critical. There will be obviously errors there. There will be both ways positive and negative errors, but maybe that will keep us a little bit better secured than what we have today. I, I would like and to. You, you mentioned uh, previously, uh, you know, AI, machine learning. Uh, I don't think, I, I, I think we would be kind of considered a bit behind the times if we didn't touch upon this a bit deeper. 
Uh, you mentioned the use of AI and machine learning in detection and uh, potentially prevention of uh, of, of the cyber cyber incidents. What about uh, the actual use of them as uh, cyber intrusion tools? Uh, there is a, there's a lot of talk about how um, generative AI uh, allows uh, creation of uh, images to bypass uh, a lot of biometric uh, security, uh, uh, how it can be used to, to, to bypass various other mechanisms. Uh, are you preparing uh, for, for this new wave of uh, cyber risks stemming from generative AI and what, what, what's, what's your approach towards it? So yes, it's an absolutely, it's a double-edged sword, as you have said, Arthur, correctly. It's the double-edged sword. First, I will take the beneficial parts. We always look the good things first. So the, we have to take advantage of that wherever we can take advantage because bad people will take advantage of it or maybe taking it already. So. In the detection, as I mentioned before, before, I would be a little bit touched that in a detection, it can go a big way because what it can do is, in a very layman's term, it can create a baseline intelligence, what is my day-to-day -day behavior, and any deviation from that behavior, it can quickly flag and create an alert. Mm -hmm. That hey, something is not going on, which is not my routine behavior, mm -hmm. which can be very beneficial. Then I also mentioned that it also can be in this data classification and other areas it can be beneficial. Mm -hmm. But the bad guys are definitely using it now and you'll use it in a bigger way. So it has to be kind of, I would say, it has to, technology has to work against the technology. There is no alternative to that really. So we have to look for how I get a better technology to counter that technological attack. How can I detect faster? But yes, some of the thing what you said, biometric is something is becoming a definitely under challenge. So we have to go back to maybe again, some of the other manual mode of I, in the beginning of this discussion, I really talked a lot about biometric, but yes, I 100% agree with you. The biometric is getting under attack with this new uh, AI based attacks but they are it's happening for some time now really the ai is just an, another way of it so we got to continue the continuous battle we had to get into our bad guys will try to come up with newer modes of attacks and we got to go ahead of that again i'll give example of this movie which is going on today mm -hmm. i think 29th of uh, may Progress announced that they have vulnerabilities. And 5th of June, this club guys came up telling that from 27th of May, they're already exploiting it. And they have already enough companies' data in their safe to issue the threats against them. So, like, this battle is going to continue, really. Okay. With every area, Microsoft, I don't know either you guys, I'm sure you guys seen maybe this week. We had all last week, we faced major delays in Microsoft Teams, Outlook, SharePoint, mm -hmm. and then Microsoft came up this week and they said they had DDoS attack. Okay, so even today, mm -hmm. they cannot make their system full DDoS proof. They are DDoS attacks, so their service, Office 365 services were compromised. So it's going to be a 
challenge, but we have to come up with new avenues. I do not have an answer for you, if you understand correctly. I'm trying to tiptoeing around your question. Because today we all are telling AI is my latest and greatest in the technology. AI will solve a lot of our problems. But yes, AI will create also a lot of problems. And we have to find out how to avoid those problems. It's like, I'll give you a very mundane example. Like it's those newer medicines when this comes up. They all have good things and they have bad things. So how do I take care of the bad things? How I tackle those or any other mode, electric cars or, or nowadays we are talking about self-driving cars. So like that, we have to come up with a solution as we face the problems. So it's still in the lab at this point, I would say. I do not have an alternative to a biometric. Biometric was thought to be the best way to do the identity management. But today, I, if that's under I, threat, I got to get into something else then. I hope that unlike uh, in cybersecurity, medicine and self-driving cars will not be actively trying to kill us or har harm us, uh, like cyber, cyber, cyber criminals using the new tools too. Uh, we're approaching an hour. I, I'm really... That's mm, I'll just add one thing though. It's not yeah, sure, please. unfortunately it is almost going there. In 2021, okay, I don't know, sorry, I uh, we may be going a little over, but I would like no, to No, please, please do. Okay, you may have seen this week United States government has issued a new regulation telling that any remote management system that is managing mm -hmm. a operational technology. Mm -hmm. cannot be internet connected. I didn't know okay. that, no. Okay, so they issued this year. Why that background is, I'll tell you why this happened. See, operational technologies traditionally were managed within their own network. Mm -hmm. You talk about mm -hmm. a power plant, you talk about a manufacturing plant, you talk about any operational areas where technology is managing the plant. There mm -hmm. are computers that's managing the technology. But that computers generally not used to sit in the data network of the company. These operational networks used to be a separate network. That's why we never used to hear much about hacks into these operational technology. Because it's not easy to get in there because this is a kind of isolated separate network. network yeah. What happened during COVID was all these people who used to manage those operational technology, even they started working from home. So if I'm working from home and trying to manage that technology, how do I connect? Internet. I have to connect to an internet-connected computer to go to that technology. So those, those networks brought into internet connectivity. I'll finish telling one small example. In 2021, in a town in Florida, their water treatment plant was hacked into, and the composition of the chemicals that used to purify the water was compromised. Ooh. It was caught right in time, otherwise it could have been a disaster there. Wow. And as so easily childish way that was compromised, if, you, if I tell you, you'll also get surprised. There's a tool you use called TeamViewer. TeamViewer is a remote connectivity tool, which is free for everybody. If I buy it, I get the security. Mm -hmm. These computers were being accessed using a free team viewer, which has a default user ID password. <laughs> okay. uh, so, and this is. Can affect all also. 
it I can when we had that uh, continental pipeline attack on 2021 our gas prices went up to seven dollars a gallon because the pipeline has to be shut down for four days that supplies all the gasoline to the eastern united states mm -hmm. so it can affect our lives also and i think this is this is another example that it wasn't the technology that failed it was a human error Mm -hmm. Because the, the the technology, you know, it's not no one hacked into it. It just mm -hmm. wasn't wasn't secured. Yeah. I, I think this is this is a, a a good time to to wrap up. And uh, you know, if if people want to to kind of either discuss more or 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 get in touch with you or challenge maybe your your ideas, uh, how can they contact with you? And what resources would you recommend for them? So the best way to contact me would be through LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn as Amit Basu. And uh, resources, there are nowadays, there are lots of resources lately today. But as I said in the beginning, the more we collaborate, we'll be better secured. We cannot live in our own cave and try to protect our organizations. So we need to come out, go to the conferences, go to the seminars, talk like we are talking today and share our thoughts, share our problems, and try to help each other. That's the only way we can get us better prepared against our very sophisticated and organized cyber adversaries. Well, thank you, Amit, for, uh, for, for, for the experiences you shared. And uh, I, think, I think anyone who is involved in cybersecurity will now have to step back and, uh, and rethink a bit uh, their approach. Uh, and uh, as always, let's hope it was of use to someone. Thank you for listening. Also, don't miss the next one, where we'll be talking about ChatGPT use in data analytics with highlights from our book, GPT-Driven Data Analytics, currently at early access stage in MAMI. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or visit bdr.show to find out more about future episodes and guests. You can also check out Cognition.llc for more information on Cognition Shared Solutions, our services and other events hosted by us. For now, it's thank you from myself, Arthur Guya, and my co-host, your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Maran Shiga. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>